You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We are celebrating God's love for us and God's gift of life to us. And it's an honor to be a part of this beautiful occasion today, of this Baby Dedication Sunday. Psalms 127 verse 3 says, Children are a gift from the Lord, children a reward from Him. And as Christ followers, we're called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to God. And God in His goodness has entrusted gifts to parents, our children to parents as gifts. And then He turns around and He entrusts these families and these children to a church. He entrusts them to us. And so there becomes this beautiful responsibility of the community of God that, that God gives a, the gift of a child to a family and then turns around and, and in Christ gives a gift of a family to a larger family, his family, to a church family. And so then there becomes this beautiful relationship that God wants to mold and to shape so that we can live life together. Now, I realize that many of us, when we are trying to raise our children and in, and in churches, we try to teach children, we generally try to teach children these propositional, propositional truths. So we teach them statements. And so we say, we say our, our understanding of teaching them about God is to teach them certain rules and commands, like don't lie, love your neighbor. And we teach them these propositional truths. And that's not wrong, but that's only halfway what God wants. Because what we sometimes fail to remember is these propositional truths are rooted in story. And so instead of just teaching children these propositional truth statements, God, I think, has invited us as his people to teach them the story. So that through the story and seeing the story and hearing the story and looking for the story in this world, they then learn what the truths look like. So when Jesus was asked, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus didn't just give a bunch of facts and a bunch of, you know, ideas. Jesus, what did he do? He told a story. And he rooted loving God and loving neighbor in a story. And see, this has always been the case, church. And parents, this has always been the case. God has always wanted us to learn about him, not through memorization only, not through certain proof texts of scripture, and not through certain facts about history and scientific evidence as to why the Bible is, what it is, and Jesus is, who he is. That wasn't ever God's intent. You're not going to find that in scripture. What God wanted was his people to learn and know him through the story, the story that he is telling, the story that he is writing in the world. The story that we begin with in Genesis 1 and work all the way through in the last chapter of Revelation. And see, again, this has always been the case. You hear about it when God had brought his people up out of slavery, Egyptian slavery, and God delivered them. And they weren't a nation, but they were his people. They were from the seed of Abraham, and, and they were his people, but they were, they were kind of nomads. And, and so God delivers them from Egypt, and he delivers them, and he walks them through this dry red sea. He lifts the waters up, and he delivers them from captivity through all these miracles and all these plagues of the Egyptians. And he walks them through this red sea, and they're delivered, and they see the salvation of the Lord. And, and so they get to this place where God, through Moses, he commands his people to this. And he says in Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, he says, Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen, so that you don't slip from your mind, so they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And so even in the beginning, when God's people were yet still a real people, a community of people, a nation of people, God's desire was children and grandchildren and the children's children all to know the story, what they had seen, 
what they had personally lived. And so he carries on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on their children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so even in the beginning, God says, I want you to teach them my way of life, the commands. And see, what we do in our Western minds is we interpret the idea of teaching commands as literally just teaching the commands. But in the Eastern mind, that would have meant more than just simply teaching commands. It would have meant to teach them the story. To teach them why these commands are what they are. Because these commands are rooted in the story of God's people. And so what I want to do is I want to tell you the story. The story of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The story that God wanted his people to learn. And so I will sit in a rocking chair because it is comfy. Should leave this up here every Sunday. Bring me my tea. Here's the context of what God wanted Moses to teach the people of God. Here's the story. The story of the Ten Commandments. So there they all were. Grannies and granddaddies, babies, uncles, aunts, children, moms and dads. Out there in the middle of the desert. And they had blisters from all the walking. They were hungry and and thirsty and much, much too hot. We don't like it, they said. It stinks. And so did they, for that matter, because no one had taken a bath in weeks. Now remember, because this is something they had forgotten. God had done amazing things for his people. He'd hidden them inside a cloud. He moved the sea. He set them free. But God's people still weren't happy. They didn't care about being free. Wasn't it better when they were slaves? At least they had lots of nice food to eat. God doesn't want us to be happy, they said. It was the same lie that Adam had told Eve, or Adam and Eve had heard all those years before. God has brought us out of here to kill us. God doesn't love us. But they didn't know God very well, did they? See, every day of their journey, God kept on showing his people how well he would look after them if they would just trust him and obey him. And when they were hungry, God made the sky rain with food, bread coming down from heaven. What is it? They asked each other. They didn't know. So they called it. What is it? It's a good thing to call something that you don't know what it is. You just call it, what is it? And when they were thirsty and started quarreling, God made water flow from a rock. Moses called that place quarreling. Real creative, these people. Because that seemed like a good name too. And still God's children didn't trust him. Or do what he said. They, they thought they could do a better job of looking after themselves and making themselves happy. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him. Not true happiness. So God led them to a tall mountain. And God wanted to talk to his people and show them what he was like. He wanted to help them know him better and tell them about the special land he was going to give them. The whole earth belongs to me, God said. But I have chosen you. You are my special family. I want you to live in a way that shows everyone else what I'm like so they can know me too. See the pictures? 
God called Moses up the mountain, and a great mountain shook, a thick cloud fell, thunder roared, and lightning crackled. And God gave Moses ten rules called commandments. I want you to love me more than anything else in all the world, and know that I love you too, God told them. That's the most important thing of all. And God gave them other rules, like don't make yourselves pretend gods, and don't kill people or steal or lie. And these rules, see, they showed God's people how to live and how to be close to him and how to be truly happy. They showed him, they showed them how life works best. God's promises to always look after you, Moses said. Will you love him and keep these rules? We can do it, yes, we promise. But they were wrong. They couldn't do it. No. No matter how hard they tried, they could never keep God's rules all the time. And God knew they couldn't. And he wanted them to know it too. Only one person could keep all the rules. And many years later, God would send this one person to stand in their place and be perfect for them. Because the rules couldn't save them. Only God could. And he did so in Jesus. See, that's the story. God wants us to teach our children his way, his way of life. Not through just simple propositional truths that we teach in a Sunday class moment or in a Sunday school moment or in a church service or even at home with these rules and regulations and commands because when we do, we set God up to be some great grandpa God sitting behind some judgment desk waiting to just judge us for failing on the rules. No, no, God wanted us always to teach him through story which is why he gave us the word anyway and it's told in story and we as a church would be better for it when we would learn to teach our children the way of God through the story of God and help them understand that these rules and these commands have a root in something bigger, something more beautiful and something real. And so the writer of Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning verse 20, carries on and says this, When your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees and the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord our God has commanded you, You tell them this, tell them the story. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and all his household, but he brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us a land that he swore to our fathers. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our good, for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. See, parents, all parents, not just the ones here today to dedicate their children, parents, you were invited by God and Jesus to love God with every ounce and fiber of your energy and teach your children to do the same by telling them the story of what God has done through his people and what God is doing through his people and in his people through King Jesus and what God will do in the world through King Jesus. But God has called the parents and called the church to do more than tell the story. God wants us to demonstrate the story. He wants us to live out the story. See, the reason why God tells us his commands and story is because story always invites us in to become participants of the story. When someone asks how your week was last week, you don't tell them facts and figures and times. You tell them what? Story. 
And you invite them to see the more meaningful, deeper, meaning, rich picture of what you did last week. And, and God does the same. And what God wants us to do, church, is not just tell the story. He wants us to live the story. I, I, you, you are teaching my child the story of God, not just through Sunday classes and, and through our Kids Connect and through our small groups within our kids or small groups even within our homes. You're teaching my child the story of God by how he watches you love one another. But how he watches you love those who are poor and marginalized in society. When Allison and Ian and I dropped off all the goods that you, many of you dropped off yesterday for Doug and Frank who were homeless and by the grace of God are no longer homeless as we've been walking with them in God's grace, my son was a part of that story. He saw Doug and Frank in that house and I had talked to him about Doug and Frank and their situation. He was, he was in wonder and, and we were dropping this off and it's a part of Ian's story because he sees you living out the story. And then when you go to tell him the story, he's going to listen to you because you're living the story. See, parents, what would happen if you taught your kid about forgiveness not through just commanding them what sin was and what forgiveness is, but by asking them for forgiveness when you failed them too? See, last week I had to teach my son the story of forgiveness when I had to ask him to forgive me. We teach repentance. We teach grace. We teach the way of God, not just through mere propositional truths given to them by some Bible class teacher, but we teach them by living out the story ourselves and then telling them why we're living the way we are living. And see, parents are something you have to know. It is always God's design that you be the primary disciple makers of your children, not your Bible class teacher, youth minister, or children's minister. You are the primary disciple maker of your child. Whether we had a minister or not, you are the primary disciple maker of your child. You obey God. You follow Jesus. You trust him. You teach them the story, and you put skin on the story by living it out in front of them. And maybe, just maybe, you will have actually raised your kid in Christ and not just the church. And believe me, there is a difference between raising your kid in church and raising your kid in Christ. But then the beauty of church is is as you're doing that and as you're struggling and as you're working hard to, to just teach your kid the way of Christ and you're trying to demonstrate it by how you live your life, then all of a sudden David Heap and Clifton Bell and Kim Willis and Fred Ligon comes along beside you and, and you're doing life with us because we gather every week and you're involved in a small group with other of God's people and you come to a family fun night with God's people and you go to eat with God's people and, and they see and you, you serve with God's people and your kids are a part of that. And what ends up happening? is by virtue of my new birth in Jesus Christ, your child becomes my child. I then journey alongside you as you're discipling your child. You'll always the principal disciple makers of your child, but I then walk with you and hopefully I demonstrate grace, which means I'm going to demonstrate failure too. But then I'm going to demonstrate love. And you're all going to use me as an example. There are going to be times where you go home and you say, you know, we love, we love Fred, but don't do what he did today. <laughs> and then hopefully there will be times where you say, you know, we love Fred. You know, he, he, he did okay today. You can do that. Because as a church, we come together to walk with one another. So whether you have children or not of your own, biologically or adopted, it doesn't matter when it comes to this conversation today. Because by virtue of our new birth in Jesus Christ and the fact that we've all been adopted as children of God, 
You who do not have biological children or adopted children or you've raised your children off, you're not off the hook. You now have, by extension, anywhere between 50 and 75 other kids. So I do expect all of you to buy Ian a birthday present and put back for his college. Okay? Because that is what God has called us to be as a family, and he's called us to live it out together. And we live it out together when we obey God in our lives. But we obey God in our lives, not just through adherence to some mere propositional truths, but when we live into the story of God and show our kids that God is still delivering people from slavery. See, Jesus would say it like this. In John 14, 21, he would say, Those who obey my commands are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them and I will reveal myself to each of them. And so parents, I tell you today, in church, our charge today is that as we follow Jesus, as we trust Jesus in our lives, every day of our lives, not just on one day a week in some little church gathering, but on a Monday through a Saturday when we come together to celebrate what God has done on a Sunday and then back on a Monday in our coworkers, in our offices, in our neighborhoods, in our networks, when we obey Jesus right where we are, children then have a chance to see Jesus in and through us because Jesus said, and I love this part, he said, when you obey me, I will reveal myself to each of you. Somehow, some way, when you trust Jesus and you obey him, you will see Jesus. And so too will our children. And then the story will be made alive. And that is a beautiful thing. Three-year-old Timothy had just heard his mother read his favorite bedtime story. For the third time. After the third and final reading, his mother witnessed a strange phenomenon. The toddler took the book and he set it on the floor. And then he opened the book and gently put one foot and then the other on the open pages. And he looked down in wonderment. But then after a few moments, he began to cry. The mother was quite puzzled at this little display. Until her eight-year-old daughter offered a simple interpretation. Mommy, Timmy really likes the book. And it was then the mother understood. Timmy wanted to become a part of the book. See, children are wired to become part of the story. When we model the story, and when we teach them the way of God through story, they will become a part of the story. And so the psalmist in Psalm 78 in a, great worship hymn, in a great worship hymnal of God's people, he commanded the congregation of God's people to this. In verse 1, my people, hear my instruction. Listen to what I say. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. Listen to this. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell of future generations the praises of the Lord, his might and the wonderful works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might might know they were to rise and tell their children so they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works and but keep his commands and they would not be stubborn like their fathers, a rebellious generation, a regeneration whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit is not faithful to God. Oh, oh, how I want more than anything for Ian to grow up and be a better man than I've been. And the reality of this verse is that we as a church 
have the responsibility to tell the story of God to their children, to all children in our midst. This is God's calling and invitation to our lives as His people. So church, today is for us as well. As these parents commit and dedicate their children to raise them to know Jesus Christ as King and Lord and lover of their souls. As they commit to demonstrating the gospel by how they live their lives and proclaim it by how they speak in their lives. We as a church are gathering with them and saying, we will walk with you and do the same. And we will cry with you, we will laugh with you when your kid goes crazy and has to come back home down-faced and downtrodden, we will receive them too. We will love them too. But we must allow the story to be a part of our lives because children love story. Allison, she reads to Ian at night, and I, I, I'm just, she's a better reader than I, and Ian will choose her reading over mine. I guess I'm just too loud. Um, and so I, this, is, this is what I love about the idea of telling our kids the way of God through story. Because this is what Ian does. All right, I'm going to demonstrate the story. So Allison will sit down and she'll pick the story. So I'm going to do a little monologue here. I'll be Allison here and then I'll be Ian here. Here is nighttime in our home. This is Allison. Jesus calms the Red Sea. When Jesus saw that a curious crowd, Mama... Mama, why are they so angry in the boat? Because the boat's going through and the rains are coming down. Let me, I'll finish the story, I'll tell you. So when Jesus saw that a curious crowd was coming by the minute, he told us, Mama, Mama, why is he so angry? (laughs) Well, because he's scared, honey, he's scared. Let me tell you the story. So when Jesus saw that a curious crowd was growing by the minute, Mama, Mama, what is that? I want to count them. One, two, four, three, five. And this goes on and on. And it doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) The beautiful thing is seeing this play out in our home. Because Ian wants to become part of the story. He wants to know the details of the story. So when you teach your children the story, and when we as a church try to teach your kids the story, understand that if we teach it well, and we teach it with all our hearts, our kids are going to want to know the details. So instead of just teaching them the details all the time, teach them the story so they understand the details better. Because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to invite them to be a part of the story. The parents that are coming forward today, they know this. They know that this is a call to disciple their own children and nurture their faith in the Lord as the primary disciple makers in their home. But they also know that their call is to be disciples first. You cannot ask someone to do what you are not willing to do or to not do what you are not willing to let go of. Our homes reflect our lives. And so God has called us to do this as parents and as a church. And I want you to know that when we met with the parents in our baby dedication class, and we gave them some pre-work, and then we sent an email out, that this has been clearly communicated to the parents that come forward today. And I want to read you a paragraph that I wrote them in an email, just so you understand the language and the emphasis, because this is what they read. This is what I said in the email. On a serious and rather somber note, please understand that this is a holy moment. 
It is in no way designed to simply be a sweet, though it will be, cute, though it will be, or superficial, which it will not be, kind of moment. Our prayer is that God will be honored. Your desire to raise your children to know the Lord will be honored. And our call by God through Titus 2 to walk with you in your parenting journey will be honored. Remember the most important aspect of this. You as parents, not the church, are the primary disciple makers of your beautiful children. This presupposes that you are a disciple yourself, that you follow Jesus in obedience, are learning to both trust and enjoy him more in your life, are becoming more devoted to his mission in this world, are remaining faithful in your fellowship with his people called the church. And one of the things I made clear to these families, I make clear to all of us today. Parents, we cannot walk alongside you in helping you disciple your children if you're never present among us. And that means, yes, our gatherings, but that means even much more than that. Church, you cannot live out the call of God to walk with these families if you do not know them or if you are never present or if you are only present when it's convenient to you. We are called to be in life together, beyond a Sunday, but in life together, to pray for one another, to walk with one another, to think about one another, to cry with one another, to laugh with one another, to gather with one another, to gather around the table of God, to remember our very identity with one another, to sing songs of praise, to remember the story of God with one another, to hear the story told with one another. We are called to be in life together. We are not going to do this perfectly. There'll be times where we don't even do this as well as we can and should. But the truth of it is, the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us and in Jesus Christ as a shepherd of this church will teach us how to be that kind of people. The only thing you have to answer today is will you be willing to show up? Will you make your life available and present to walk with these families, to be walked with yourself? And parents, will you Yes, will you make the hard choices when you've got 14 baseball games, three football games, 14 tennis matches, two concerts, tap dancing and ballet? Will you make the choice to make sure that your children have meaningful relationships with God's people too? Those are the choices we work through and wrestle with together as a family. And we can do so honestly because we know there's no agenda other than us becoming the people that God wants us to be. So that when our kids grow up, they grow up knowing that they, somewhere along their life, saw the face of Jesus in you. And that is our deepest prayer.